Thank you for downloading and listening to the Berean Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Berean Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. And also, um, this morning, we're going to continue our series from the study of Elijah. So I'll ask you to open your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 18. And then, parents, you can pick your children up in those two locations afterward. If Again, if you need help finding it, ask one of the ushers, and we'll be sure and uh, get you down there. 1 Kings chapter 18, as we have a short series here from the life of Elijah the prophet. As we began this series and considered how important Elijah is, that in the New Testament, he, he closes the Old Testament, uh, the very last uh, verses of the Old Testament, that I will send my prophet Elijah to prepare the way. And the opening of the New Testament, as uh, John the Baptist comes, and he comes in the spirit of Elijah um, to introduce the Messiah, but many, and of course, Elijah was on the Mount of Transfiguration with the Lord Jesus Christ. Elijah is one of two men in the Bible who did not experience death. He was just taken by God. Uh, we'll see that as we, as we, as we finalize our series together. And he also, many believe, is going to be one of the two witnesses that will be in Jerusalem, uh, on, in the, uh, tribulation time. As well, but Elijah, very important prophet. Now, this morning, as we begin this passage, and uh, let's have a word of prayer together. Heavenly Father, as we open your word uh, once again, we do never do so lightly. That is your word, and we thank you so much for giving us your word. That uh, as we stand in the tradition of the uh, evangelical Christian faith, that everything for our doctrine, our teaching, and everything for our practice, how we live it, is found in your word. And so uh, we, we believe in the, the inspiration of your word. We hold it very high, Lord, in this church. We thank you for that. And we pray that it will not just be something we hold high, but something that we will apply to our lives as we walk with you in the days and the week to come. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If I were to ask you this morning, you look back over your life, what, what three decisions did you make in your life that have had the biggest impact on who you are and where you are today. What three decisions in your life that you had to face? You came to a point in your life where you had to make a decision and finally you had to say this, that, yes, no, um, good or bad. Um, what three decisions have made the biggest impact on your life today, where you are today? And I would say in my life, and it may be very typical of many of you here. I would think, um, first of all, my decision to receive Christ as my Savior. I was in third grade, Camp Gilead, uh, and I personally received Christ as my Savior. And, of course, we encourage in our church that you do this, that you receive forgiveness for sins, that Christ died on the cross, paid for your sins, and offers you eternal life and forgiveness for sins. Um, if I'm not mistaken, this past week, one of our children, uh, kindergarten age, uh, received Christ as Savior and um, at home. And uh, as we share these stories and we share the joy in that, um, and if someone says, well, that's, you know, children are too young to understand that, um, then I ask you, why did Jesus teach the children and talk to the children and say, unless you come as a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God? And, uh, yes, there is an age at which they can understand the simplicity of the gospel, that Christ died for them and paid for their sins. So I think the first decision is 
that um, I received Christ as my Savior. Not because I was any smarter or any better than anybody else, but God opened my heart to the gospel, and I responded, sitting there at chapel at camp. Uh, obviously, I think the second decision that affected my life so much is who I married, my wife. Um, everything, you know, my family, my grandkids, everything about me, everything about us, has been dependent on the fact that she, I should say, she chose to marry me. <laughs> she could have done much better, but she chose to marry me. And uh, so I'll share that decision. I chose to accept that. Okay, so I think, and I think the third thing for me, I think obviously the third thing that has impacted my life, who I am and where I am today, was a decision to go into Christian ministry. I wasn't exactly sure where I'd end up, but I felt that's what God wanted me to do. And so, I, and I think for many of you here, you're probably going to be similar. You know, who you married, when you came to know Christ, maybe the career that you chose, other decisions you've made. And it could be good and bad that, that have led you throughout your path of life where you are. We hit those critical points. And today's lesson from Elijah is actually is a very well-known a story from the Bible. It's one of these ones that if you grew up in church, as I did, going to Sunday school and children's church like these children just did, uh, this is one of those stories that we learned uh, and went over many times probably. And that is found in 1 Kings chapter 18, and it's the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel and the, in the encounter with the prophets of Baal. Now, I don't have time to recap everything we've, we've come to, but just the just a sense or two to remember that there's been a terrible famine in the land of Israel. Elijah is the prophet to the north, the northern ten tribes. And it's because we know from James that he, led by God, he prayed for this, this uh, time of no rain and it came to pass. And the whole land is destitute. It's horrible time. There's no crops. There's no food. There's no water. And everybody is desperate. We've, we've covered this. And you could go back and read the, the 16 and 17. Uh, prepare for that if you like. And it's now time for Elijah to go and to to meet the king. His his life is at stake. The king has been looking all over for him. Uh, he is not a popular man. And uh, it's a very dangerous situation. But we come to this point where uh, we, we saw last, uh, two weeks ago, where Elijah told Obadiah, the king's uh, number one servant, to, to go and tell the king I'm coming. And, of course, Obadiah said, no, he, you, he's going to kill me because you, you may not come. And he says, no, I'll be there. I'll come. I will present myself. And so in verse 16, Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. And when he saw Elijah, he said to them, ah, that's you, you troubler of Israel. So you're the, you, here you are. You're the one that's caused all this trouble in the land. It's because of you there's no rain. It's because of you there's no water, there's no crops. You're the one who's been troubling Israel. And Elijah responds, I have not made trouble for Israel. Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's command. You have followed the Baals. Remember, the, the Baals were... There was not just one Baal, it's a local deity, but there were several of these throughout uh, the ancient Near East. In fact, up until the third century, after the third century of the Christian era, they were still worshiping Baal in this area of Palestine, up north, um, up toward Lebanon. Baal was still being worshipped, and the Ashtoreth, who was the, the female counterpart, and these are the, 
the gods of fertility, but particularly fertility of the earth. You know, that he was the god of the rain. He rode on the clouds of thunder. He provided the rain, which was essential for the harvest and for their livelihood. And this area where they are going to meet, at Mount Carmel, verse 19, he says now to the king, he says, You summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Jezebel was the queen. She was from this area. She was not a Jew. She was from this area. Her family are, are uh, priests and priests of worshipers of Baal. And uh, she is a very wicked woman. We saw last week that she had slaughtered prophets, and Obadiah hid a hundred in a cave to, to save their life. She is out to erase worship of Yahweh, of, of God, the God of Israel, the Lord of Israel, from the face of the earth, and to, and to cleanse it, and, and to worship Baal and Ashtoreth. And these, these prophets, they eat at her table. And he says, gather them together at Mount Carmel. Now, Mount Carmel, if you go to Israel today, if you were to travel north toward Lebanon and toward the west, uh, it's up from the, the, the plains of Israel. They, they come up from the west. They go up to the hills. And in this area, these plains up here, the two rivers empty. This would be the Skagit Valley. Okay? This is the breadbasket. This is the Skagit Valley. This is the Homish Valley. You go to these places around in our in our northwest Puget Sound area, and you, and you see these areas that are so fertile. And, and, you know, you go visit the tulip fields and the dahlias, and you get the crops. This is the Skagit Valley. This is the area, the breadbasket of northern Israel. But there hasn't been any rain. So right now it is not a breadbasket of anything. And it is also where Baal is worshipped. It's where Jezebel is from. And Elijah says, gather 800 prophets. And bring them to Mount Carmel, and we'll meet there. And so Ahab sent word throughout all Israel. He assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. And Elijah went before the people. He goes to the people of Israel. They have come to see what is going to happen here. And everybody's in a crisis mode. Food and water are scarce. And they're at the breaking point. And Elijah, the troubler of Israel has shown up. The man who, who had it in his... If this man had power to pray the rain to stop, that he had power to pray the rain to come. But Baal is the god of the clouds and the rain. He's the god, according to them, who controls that. And I, and I love what Elijah says here. This is one of the most famous verses in the, in the Old Testament. Elijah goes before the people. And he says, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Now, you notice that, if, you may have noticed the sermon title this morning, I, I put in the bulletin, Jumping Between Branches. They may notice that? I, you know, I, I don't always read sermon titles either, so that's okay. But um, you might have looked at that and thought, well, what is he talking about, jumping between branches? Well, it's a little bit of, it's interesting, as I as I prepare for this and try to study and look at different commentaries, one of the commentaries I looked at for this study was actually by a, a Jewish theologian, not even a Christian, it's a, but it just happens to be a commentary in a series I, I had access to. He's a, he's a, he's a um, teacher in the University of Jerusalem. So his Hebrew is very good. And he, he, he noted 
that it's possible to really understand when, when Elijah says to him, how long will you, you waver between two opinions? This, this word here um, has to do the, with these opinions, the idea of it comes from the word we get branches from, the tree that branches out. So it's, you know, the Hebrew and the Near Eastern languages, each, each word is related to a three-letter root. Every word is related to a three-letter root. So the etymology, the history of the words is very important. But it's not always so easy to, to really figure out how it all came about. But so this word that has to do with dividing ends up with words that have to do with choosing different divisions. It also happens to be the word that would use for the dividing of trees, the branches. And his thought is, and I thought that was rather interesting, and this came up in a couple of other commentaries, his thought is that what Elijah is saying here, he's, he's, he's comparing it to a bird. That if you look at a bird in a tree that hops between branches, goes from this branch to that branch, and this branch to that branch, and this branch to that branch. And what he's saying here is, and of course if, if that's true, the idea that he's getting across is exactly what your translation probably says. How long will you waver between opinions? How long will you sit on the fence? Some of your translations say that. How long will you sit on the fence? Have you ever sat on the fence before? I'm not sure where that phrase, you know, where, the, where these ideas come from, but it has to do with you can't decide which yard you're going to be in, I guess. And um, and this idea of, the, the idea here is that Elijah says to people, listen, how long are you going to try to do both? It's one or the other. You see, the problem in Israel is not that Israel has just given up on Yahweh, the Lord. It's where we get the word Jehovah from, Yahweh. That's a, this is kind of a poor English translation of that word. His personal name, when he gave it to Moses and said, you tell them, I am that I am, Yahweh, that I, I, am, I am who I am have sent you. This is kind of his personal name. And, and, he, and, he, and he says, and so the point is not that they have just completely forsaken him, but they have incorporated worship of Yahweh into worship of Baal and Asherah, and depending on where they live, Dagon, you name it, all the different gods. He was just one of another god. It's what we might use the word, you've heard the word syncretism today, you know, synchronize, you know, you put things together. The idea that, that and you've heard this today, that when we talk about the one true God and the one true way to God, the Lord Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And, of course, today we hear so much um, that well, all religions are, they are all what? They are all roads leading up the same mountain. It's syncretism. They're all the same, but the God is the same. The problem is there might be two different mountains. And according to the Bible, this is not what, the, what we believe, what we are to teach, that all roads lead to the same. There is only one true God. And when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, it either is true or it's not true. It can't be halfway. But we see this so much today, syncretism, where we try to blend everything together, and, we, and where this is all around us, coexists with everything. And this is what they're doing. And, and Elijah confronts them and says, how long are you going to try to pretend that when it's convenient to worship Yahweh, you worship him. When it's convenient to worship Baal, you worship Baal. When it's Ashtra, you worship Ashtra. How long will you continue to jump from branch to branch? How long will you sit on the fence? How long will you waver between two opinions? And he says, listen, 
If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Do one or the other. Make up your mind. And you notice what it says next? But the people said nothing. My second title for this sermon this morning is The Sound of Silence. (laughs) People said nothing. But some of you that aren't from my generation may not appreciate that as much. (laughs) (laughs) Quiet, Rick. uh, uh, Chris over there. The Sound of Silence. And the people said nothing. People said nothing. They didn't respond. They weren't going to commit. They didn't say to Elijah, no, we can do both. They didn't say, no, we're going to worship Baal. No, they didn't say anything. They didn't say anything. These are the people of God. This is the Israelites. They didn't say anything. They wanted to continue to jump from branch to branch, whatever was convenient and whatever worked out the best for them. So, verse 22. Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. Not really true, we know that. But in this particular case, it's sort of hyperbole, maybe he, you know, either he, whatever reason. But in this case, he's the only one willing to confront everybody like this or that God has called. I'm the only one. Baal has 450 prophets. Now, we'll notice from this point on, we're going to deal with Baal's prophets, not Ashtoreth's. We're going to deal with Baal's prophets. He has 450 prophets. Get two bowls for us. Let them choose, and everything, you let them choose. There's no tricks. There's no sleight of hand here. They can choose whatever bowl they want. They choose the bowl. Let them cut it into pieces. Let them put it on the wood, but don't set it on fire. I'll do the same. I'll prepare the other bowl. I'll put it on the wood, but I will not set fire. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And this time the people all shouted out, what you say is good. We agree. We agree to this deal. Whatever God answers, he is the God. It's 450 prophets against one. And it's these gods against Elijah's God. And so most of you, of course, know this story well, probably. Uh, That might be new to some of you. And so it's a fun story. Let's look at it. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one of the bowls and prepare it first. Since there are so many of you, call the name of your God, but do not light the fire. There's another, another, another sermon title we could use, <laughs> Light the Fire. So they took the bowl, given them, and they prepared it. Then they called in the name of Baal from morning till noon. Oh, Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. They, and, of course, this scene, I don't, you decide. I don't know if you consider this kind of comical, kind of pathetic, Kind of typical, I mean, if you did any history, you know, world history, and remember when you studied maybe world religions and so on, and you remember the gods from the ancient world, these gods were, were like humans. They, they aren't like the God of the Bible. You remember the gods of the Greek mythology and Roman mythology? These gods of Near Eastern ancient uh, mythology and so on. These were gods who... Who got, um, who, who did things, they had, they had offspring, they cheated on their spouses, they were superhuman kind of, but they were gods, but they were not like our God. And so I don't know, I'll let you decide if you think this is comical, pathetic, typical of this world. He says, they danced around the altar and they called upon Baal. From, and they began in the morning. At noontime, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. 
Surely he is a God. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. You know, some of the newer translations might say he's on vacation. Maybe they do, really. I think they say that. Maybe he is sleeping and he must be awakened. Now, again, I've, I've wondered about this. You know, was, this, was, was he getting a little carried away? Was Elijah getting a little carried away and getting a little out of hand here by, by getting kind of arrogant and taunting them? You know, we, I, we weren't there. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I think my, my thinking is that he is doing what sometimes a psalmist does, that when he talks about the futility, you know, that God laughs when, they, when the derision that people give to God, that, that I think he's, he's emphasizing the ridiculousness of this, that here they have the God of the universe who's called them as his own people, and they are worshiping an idol that doesn't exist. The psalmist, and he says, you, you, take, you take wood and you, you take things that are inanimate. They, are, they do not have life. And you carve them into a, a picture of life. And then you worship them as if they give life. It's ridiculous. And I, I think that what Elijah is doing here is, is that what is, these, are, these are the kind of gods that they worship. And he's emphasizing, this is the kind of god you worship. They, they go away, they sleep, they, they don't pay attention. Psalm 121, behold, the keeper of Israel never slumbers, never sleeps. And so he, he, he heaps it on them. And then, it, then it, gets, it gets kind of weird, you know, verse 28. They shouted louder, louder and they slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. I mean, this is getting serious, you know, and nothing's happening. Remember, this whole time, everybody's watching. And these 400 plus prophets are, are doing this and they're, and they're going in this frantic, this frenzy. They're prophesying. And what they're going to translation says they're, they're prophesying. They're, they're calling on God. They're speaking for their God. They're bleeding. They're cutting themselves and it, nothing happens. Midday passed and they continue. Time for evening sacrifice. No response. No one answered and no one paid attention. It wasn't going to happen. <laughs> And Elijah said to all the people, come here now. And they came to him. And it says he repaired the altar. The word in the Hebrew there is he healed, he healed the altar. It's a word for healing, like a doctor would use. He healed the altar. He, he took this altar that was there and he, he healed it. He repaired it. He placed it back the way it should be. Now look what it says here in verse 31. He took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descending from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seas of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bowl in pieces, laid it on the wood. So it's interesting to me, this, he is ministering to the ten northern tribes, but he includes all of Israel. This is for all of Israel. He is a well-known prophet. And even though the nation is divided north and south, he, this is for all of them. Twelve stones. Just as when they crossed the Jordan River with Joshua and they set up the altar with twelve stones, one for each tribe of Israel as a reminder, as a memorial, that they were God's people. They were Israel. Name from Jacob's name was changed from Jacob to Israel. And then, you notice what he says, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering on the wood. Now let's do your math now. Do it again, he said. How many jars is that? 
Eight. And they did it again. Do it a third time. How many times? Twelve. He ordered and they did it a third time. Twelve stones. Twelve jars of water. One for each tribe of Israel. To soak that altar. This thing was not going to burn. It was not going to burn. It was soaked. There was no chance. No lighter fluid. Nothing is going to light this fire. In the time of evening sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward. You know, we know these stories. I've read this so many times. But um, wouldn't you love to have been there? Can you imagine the hush that came over the crowd? You know, as everybody quiets down and the show is over with the prophets of Baal. You know, the show's over. And this one, this one prophet who, if he's, if, if, if he's like John the Baptist, he, he dresses kind of casual. <laughs> he eats kind of casual. And, uh, he, he steps up and he prays, Oh Lord, God of Abraham, pay attention to this. Did anybody catch anything here? Oh Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Anything that catch your attention? What's it normally? God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Only one or two other times do you see this. God of Israel. Jacob and Israel were the same person. But this is the northern ten tribes of Israel. So he says, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Israel, today, let it be known, today you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant. This is not about Elijah. This is not some sleight of hand. This is not some power. This is not about him. This is about God. Let him know that, that you're, 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 you're the God who have done all these things. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me. He's, he's praying. Now, you know, he, he's, he's praying. He's really praying hard because what if God doesn't answer? What if God says, I, Elijah, no. It's not quite time yet. But he prays hard. He says, answer me, God. He's begging, answer me. So these people will know that you, O Lord, are God. You are turning their hearts back again. You are doing this. You are doing this. And of course, you know what happened. As soon as he finished praying, the fire of the Lord fell. It burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the dirt. And it licked up, isn't that great? Hebrew's great. It licked up the water in the trench. There was nothing left. I, well, I don't know what was left if the dirt and the soil were gone. <laughs> Everything was gone. Just like that, in a flash, it was gone. And it wasn't, it wasn't lightning from heaven, it was fire from heaven. In the Old Testament, during the stories of Moses and Joshua, this would have represented the presence of God, the fire, the burning, the light, intensity. It fell from heaven, and in a flash, it was all gone. Wouldn't you love to have been there? Wouldn't it have been great just to stand in the background and to watch all these people standing there and the, and the, and the prophets of Baal still bleeding, you know, standing there? And, and their altar is still standing there. And the animal is still on it. And the altar Elijah built, one man, one prayer, 
It's gone. It's gone. And the people, the people, they looked at this, and they and they and they saw they saw what happened, and they fell on the ground and they cried. They fell on the ground, I think, to hide their faces because this this could have been the presence of God. This might have been so blinding, so intense, so overwhelming that you you. I mean, yesterday, I, where was I? Oh, I was at a football game the other night. I went to a high school game with Chris and Emily to see one of Chris's former students. And uh, it was sunny out, and the clouds came, and the sun came back out. I looked up for a second. I looked right into the sun, and, you know, I, I, I didn't see a little bit of football for a little bit there. It was so bright. And, and I, I think this was so overwhelming that you couldn't do anything but fall on your ground and fall on the face and bury your face. And they cried out, The Lord, Adonai, Hu, Ha, Elohim. The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Elijah said, seize the prophets of Baal, verse 40. Don't let anyone get away. And they seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley, and they slaughtered them there. Now, that's not a pretty picture. I understand that. These prophets of Baal had misled and were misleading a whole nation and causing all sorts of destruction and, and, and torment. It was a wicked, wicked, wicked religion. And they were put to death. And the story for today, hopping between two branches, really ends here. It would be nice if we could say at the end of this that they all what, lived happily ever after. <laughs> Unfortunately, if you've read the Old Testament, you know the story. It, it doesn't get better. And in fact, it continues. It's a, there's a brief respite, brief respite, but it goes back. And it gets worse. And it gets worse. And it gets worse. Till finally these ten tribes of Israel are taken by the Assyrians and decimated and smashed and spread throughout the Mediterranean world. 150 years later, the Babylonians come and destroy Jerusalem and take the two tribes and take them in captivity to Babylon. I mentioned to you that you know there are three times in Israel's history where you see this explosion of miracles, this, these stories one after another of this obvious hand of God at work. One of them is the stories of Moses and Joshua, where God brings those people from the from Egypt. Forty years later, they finally get to the promised land. He's he's put everything in front of them. The story ends at the end. Of, but you remember at the end of Joshua's life, when he stood before the people, they've conquered the land, they've settled the land, and Joshua confronts them and says, basically, you got to decide: Are you going to serve God? Or you're not going to serve God. You're going to serve the idols. But as for me and my house, say with me, we will serve the Lord. He laid it on the line to him, threw down the gauntlet. Time to make a decision. It's decision time, Israel. You either decide, we've been through all this, we've conquered the land, but you're either going to serve God or you're going to serve the idols. But for me and my house, I just want you to know, 
we will serve the Lord. And they all said, yes, we will serve the Lord. And they did for a while. This time here. And then we have the time in the Gospels, in the book of Acts. And we see in the book of Acts, after all those miracles and those signs and, the, and God at work with Israel, and we come to the end of the book of Acts, and for the third time the Apostle Paul goes, and, and I think there's this longing, and we know there's this longing in his heart and his hope, these people will respond, that God, Israel, will come back and receive Christ. They will respond. And, but, but at the end of the book of Acts, he's in, he's in prison, under Roman arrest, house arrest, and he, and he lays it out before, and they come and listen to him, and it says they went away arguing, and, and, and Paul said what? I want you to know, Israel, henceforth, I'm going to the Gentiles. This is the third time. Three times in the book of Acts as we see this transition from God's working with the nation of Israel, his transition to the ministry, the, the church, the body of Christ, the gospel going to the world where Jew and Gentile are welcome on equal basis, just as I came in third grade and whatever your story is when you came to Christ. It's because we don't come by the law. We come through simple faith in Christ. And for the third time, Paul says, I'm, I'm going to the Gentiles. I'm, I, you, I've given you the message. You resisted it. I'm going. They will listen. And that's the story. Decisions. Now, we're going to leave Elijah here, and we're going to close this morning. Uh, I just want to ask you today, because the Apostle Paul tells us that all Scripture is given to us for our teaching and understanding, for our admonition. And I just, I can't help but think today as we, as we look at this story, how we all, we all relate to this. I think we all relate to this. Because we all know, I know, I personally know, and you personally know, what it's like to, to, to be on the fence, to hop between branches, to not make up your mind. To, to, you know, the, the Bible and the New Testament warns us and tells us and, and asks us and reasons with us. We're going we're gonna to consider tonight, as we, we pick up Romans where we left off last fall, we're going to pick up tonight in chapter 12. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in a view of God's mercy, offer your, I urge you, I beg you, I implore, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. As we conclude this this morning, you know, it may be that there's someone here today who is, you know exactly what, what, what this is saying. How long are you going to hop between branches? How long? Um, maybe it's decision time. Maybe it's decision time in a relationship. Maybe it's decision time in, in your life with the sin, with a, with a, with a, with a, a habit. Maybe it's decision time with what, you know, it doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter what age you are. But we all face those crossroads in our lives. Young people, middle age and older. And I just, I would want this morning, if, if anybody is, is, is standing at that, one of those crossroads and the Holy Spirit is, is tugging at your heart saying, you know what, how long? How long are you going to jump back and forth? If, if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, then follow Him. 
If he's not, then don't. But how long? And, and the wonderful thing is, the Holy Spirit is there to enable you to do what he places in your heart to desire to do. God will enable you to do what he gives you the desire to do. But the Bible all says, also says to do it. How long? Maybe you're here today and you've heard the gospel message many times that, that Christ died for your sins. That God loves you so much that Jesus died for your sins. He paid for your sins. And he offers you forgiveness for sins and eternal life. If you in simple humility will acknowledge that you need salvation, that Jesus died for you and that you can't save yourself, and that you're willing to receive his payment for your sin. And you've, you, maybe you've heard that time and time and time and time again. But at some point, you have to hop on one branch and make that choice. You know, as I think back over my life, and, and I was thinking about these decisions that I've made in my life, I've told you the, the three that I think affected me the most. But I got to thinking of another decision I made that actually probably impacted the other two, who I married and where I was going in my life. And I was reminded a few years back, uh, Gab Boys put this wonderful little church history book for us together. This is just one volume. This is actually a shorter volume. <laughs> it's in our church library. But I was reminded, since I grew up in this church, uh, and I think Judy wrote this, the day of January 3rd, 1971, had a far greater significance than anyone could ever imagine as we sat in the morning service. Began like any other day, I'm going to kind of highlight here. But on that day, um, the lives of uh, Norm Unigine McDonald and church family was changed forever by a phone call. Their daughter, Kathy, 20, I think 22, maybe 23 years old at the time, grew up in our church. She and her husband, Donald Triplett, were missing as their small airplane appeared to have gone down during the return flight from Bruce, Wisconsin, to Holland, Michigan. They were returning there because Don and Kathy had been serving as the assistant pastor and youth director at Berean Bible Church, at the Berean Church in Holland, Michigan. Incidentally, that's where Matt Amundsen from our church is youth pastor today. Don, who was a good friend of Gary Bowers, very good friend of Gary's, they were in a small plane going over Lake Michigan, and the plane was gone. Uh, she actually, I think, was pregnant with first grandchild McDonald's would have. She was 22, 23, serving the Lord, committed to the Lord's service, recent uh, graduate of our Bible college. You know, why would God do that? Why would he do that? They were gone. And if you want to read this, page 229 in our church uh, history, that, you know, and, and they never did find, never have found any remains of the plane. But they were, grew up in our church. They were a little older than I was. Kathy was like college age when I was in high school. Like you should have been like Madeline to the younger high school age type. That's how the age group would have been. Count, priest's counselor camp. And... Um, so we had a service here, it says. Memorial service was planned for them at church, January 31st, 1971. The memorial service, and we were all here. And it was a, it was a tough service. 
But it was during that service that our pastor, this is the L.A. Peterson Youth Center we're meeting in today, that Pastor L.A. Lloyd Peterson gave a challenge to the young people that offered a turning point for many of the youth present in the sanctuary that evening. These young people related to this because they were peers. This was Kathy's home church. She had been good friends with many that grew up together. Many of these individuals made a commitment that night to surrender their lives and their futures into the hands of God for full-time service should he send them in that direction. And make a long story short, looking back on it, that was probably the decision point of my life because I was one who went forward that night. And Teresa too. And many of us that went forward that night and gave our lives to whatever God had for us. If it meant full-time Christian service, if it meant in an office, construction, whatever it meant, it meant we we were going to, a homemaker, but we were going to give our lives and let God, we were just high school kids. What do we know? And I was 18 years old. You know, Teresa was 19 when we got married. I mean, but it was different. We were, you know, in those days we were a lot more mature. <laughs> you don't believe it. I mean, I was 21 years old when we got married, man. No, really. You know, 18 years old. What did we know? What do, what do we know? But God, God put, put the decision down. And, and I'm not going to dare tell you that once we went forward that night and, and, and said, yes, God, we're, we're, we're willing to do what you want, that from that point on, we never sinned, we never did this, we never strayed, we never, everything. No. We're human. But if you look back over your life, you do see these crossroads. And you realize, you know what? God, God was working. And, and, and really because of that, because Teresa was called to be a pastor's wife and I was called to, to go into ministry, it set our, if I, if, if I had gone a different route, we probably wouldn't have got married. I had sports scholarships, believe it or not, um, things like that. But after that night, I knew that's what I was going to do. And all I'm saying to you, and I'm not bragging or anything by any stretch of imagination, all I'm saying to you is that God does bring you to to crossroads in your life. I don't care how old you are. Young, young people, many of you, you know, you may be at that crossroads. Some of you, some of you older, you may be at the crossroads. I have no idea what it is. But there does come a point as Christians that we do believe. You have to make a decision. In a world that says, no, we'll, we'll coexist, we'll all, we're all going up the same mountain, we're all, it's all going to work out, it's fine for you, but don't, don't you dare try to impose it on me. You know what? The Bible makes it clear. We do have to make decisions. You cannot jump from branch to branch forever. Because this life will come to an end. And then there is forever. And the decisions we do make here do count for eternity. And I want to encourage you today. I don't know where you're at, all of you. I don't know what God's doing in your heart.
But a friend, if you are at a division in that branch and you're going to jump, all I can say is I've never once regretted uh, landing with, with God. And if there's anybody else here this morning who can say the same thing, in spite, of, in spite of the difficulties, in spite of my shortcomings, in spite of my humanness, I want, I want to tell you, I want the people here to know, I do not regret landing with God. Would you please say amen this morning? Amen. Let's close our service. Thank you so much for joining us today. Next Sunday, we will be back in the sanctuary. It's been good being here, huh? It's worked out well. And uh, thank you for coming today. And uh, let's close our eyes, and we're going to close our service in prayer as I do so, as we do so. I just want to remind you that we worship a God in new beginnings. And every one of us, because we're human, we can look back and say, oh, I wish I would have done this different. Maybe I should have taken that path. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But listen, you're here today. You're breathing. You're alive. God has days ahead of you. How many? That's up to Him. And we at least leave that up to Him. But we worship a God in new beginnings. And the days that we have ahead of us, myself included, and you, we can serve God. We can live lives to please Him. We can live lives so that other can, others can see that Jesus Christ does make a difference. There is a loving God who cares deeply about us. And we can make those choices this week. And I want to encourage you again today. Choose. Choose God. Land on that branch. Serve God. Love God. Walk with God. For He is the one who both wills and gives the power to accomplish what He desires to accomplish. We gather in your name today. We leave this place rejoicing in our Lord Jesus Christ, how much you love us, and the days that you have for us even this week. What a privilege to walk with you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.